If you're a visitor here today, welcome. And I'm loud. Just giving you a heads up. Not all the time, but... Is there a super church? Yes. Okay. Super church kids may escape. They're running out the door. Okay. So anyway, so today, listen, I, mean, I want to speak about something that we often talk about. It's uh, something that's uh, it's pretty interesting, and it's called revival. And, uh, but I think we're a little bit off kilter sometimes when we speak about revival, when we think about revival. Because uh, often when we speak about it, we equate it with, with God's power. We equate it with God's hand being seen and performing the miraculous. Often when we talk about revival and we think about God's power, we think about the first church and its beginnings. And we usually end up looking and speaking about the events that God did that took place in the book of Acts as the church grew. Um, 2,000 years later, even as we sit here, and I mean, in the midst of the stuff that we go through, in the midst of our struggle, it's, en- it's encouraging to look at those recorded events. It's encouraging to see God's hand come down from the supernatural into the natural to perform the miraculous. Amen? It's great to see examples of God's power in the lives of those believers. We see the struggles, we see the persecution, we see the execution, but we also see in the book of Acts, thousands getting saved. We also see the love of Christ being poured out from believer to believer. We see the hand of God. We see the answers to prayer. We see the provision of the Lord for his people. And we see the willingness of those people to lay down their life for the Lord. When we examine those past events, we can't help but compare our lives with the lives of them. We can't help but compare what their church went through, went through in their environment, in their culture, in their society to what we go through or what we don't go through. We can't help but notice there the amazing power and the victories that were had in Jesus Christ and maybe reminded of the victories that we've had in Jesus Christ. Amen? I think today in the church in general and at New Hope Chapel, there's a lot to be gleaned from the book of Acts. And I mean learned and information gathered about the events that took place, about the actions and the mindsets of the believers at that time. Things that we let and allow the Holy Spirit to work on us. It makes us aware of and puts a spotlight on maybe where we're falling short. Maybe our shortcomings. Maybe where our walks line up and they're similar to what they did. Or maybe where they're not. And it needs to be changed. Their actions and God's response can give us pause concerning our own walk. Our own effectiveness for Christ. Because that church was certainly walking in the power of God, and that church was certainly effective for Jesus Christ. And as believers in Christ, that's something that we should all desire. That's something that we should all want, to be effective for Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? That means moving forward as the body of Christ, as the church, as Christ's church, spreading the gospel, seeing souls saved. This is where most would say we need a revival. 
But when people are praying for that, I really am wondering if they're understanding what they're asking for. And today, hopefully, we're going to clarify that a little bit. Today, I'm going to give you three points that when it comes to revival in our part in it, I want you to be able to digest and to let the Holy Spirit speak to you about. And to begin with, I want to talk about one word that was used several times in reference to the first church, and it's the Greek word homothumadon. And it means something familiar, one accord. This is a phrase that's foundational to us as it was to them. And throughout the book of Acts, we constantly see examples of believers being in one accord. And here are a few. In Acts 1.14, it says, These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. In Acts 2, when it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were waiting in one accord for the Holy Spirit to come. Acts 2.46, it says, And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Acts 5.12, it says, At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. See, there's no doubt that the church was walking in the power of God, that the Holy Spirit was moving, and that they were moving forward together spiritually. See, when we talk about them, they were growing. The church was born, it was growing by the power of God. We're talking about revival. We're talking about returning to a situation, returning to somewhere. When we speak about revival, we have to be careful because a lot of times what people are really wanting to see is the power of God. What people really want to see is God in action. They really want to see the miracle. And that's what they're looking for. And I understand because it's encouraging. I understand when we see God's hand move, man, we get fired up, we get lifted up. It's all good. It's amazing. It's cool. When God does something, it's cool. When he does something, he's often drawing attention to himself. He's often drawing attention to his word. He's often drawing attention to the truth. But as believers, we have to be careful that we don't get so focused on the miracle that we miss what it was done for. That we miss the door to be opened, the gospel to be preached, the soul to be saved. We have to be careful because sometimes without the miracle... We think so many accepting Christ can be mundane. And listen, so many receiving eternal salvation is the greatest miracle. So many being taken off the path to heaven, uh, hell and on the path, put on the path to heaven is an amazing thing, gift of God by His grace. It is a miracle. There doesn't have to be fanfare, there doesn't have to be a parting of the Red Sea for the soul to be saved. If there is, hallelujah. But if there's not, hallelujah. So we have to be careful that we don't get caught up in that hoopla. 
to remember that in the book of Acts, when God did the miraculous, he did it to confirm that the men were telling the truth and preaching the gospel. He did it to confirm who they were and they were being sent by him. He did it to confirm that Jesus Christ was the Son of God in the Messiah. In chapter 3 of Acts, it was this cripple who was healed as the Holy Spirit was working through Peter. And the healing was a testimony to many of God's power because this cripple had been known to be crippled from birth. As people recognized that he had been healed, they started to run into Solomon's porch to hear Peter and John as they taught them and they preached to them about Jesus Christ, saying that this man was healed by faith in Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 4, it says all this is happening and the church started to grow. People started to believe because of all this that's going on and the teaching and the healing. And 5,000 men got saved, or excuse me, grew to 5,000 men. And then it goes on to say that the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees and the priests got a little upset with Peter and John about what they were doing and their teaching and their preaching. So they had them arrested and they had them brought before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin couldn't decide how to punish them because they couldn't refute that God had did this miracle that drew all his attention. So they decided to tell them not to preach and teach in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. Well, that wasn't going to work. So they threatened them, they released them. And when they released them, they went and they rejoined other believers. And the Bible says this, and here comes that phrase again. In one accord, they raised their voices in prayer, praying for the boldness to proclaim the gospel in the face of threats and for continued healings for miraculous signs and wonders by God's hand. So when they got together, and listen, these guys were scared. They were fearful. What was going to happen to them? Were they happy that they were being persecuted for, for Jesus Christ? Yes. But they were human beings. What was going to go on? So they went back and they prayed in the face of threats. What did they pray for? They didn't pray for God to kill their enemies. They didn't pray for God to stop them, their enemies from speaking. They didn't pray for a storm to disrupt them. What they prayed for is the ability to proclaim the gospel boldly. In the face of threats. In the face of danger. And then they prayed for continued miraculous, uh, excuse me, continued miracles, just like the one that they had experienced. Why? Because that did exactly what we talked about, confirmed the truth, drew attention to God as God, drew attention to Jesus Christ as God. This is what they were praying for. And it says in 431, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God. This is a great example of the walk of the first church because they shared the truth regardless of the consequences in the face of threats. They prayed to be able to share the word of God still more boldly. They prayed for continued miracles like what just had happened because it drew people's attention. They were in one accord. They were doing God's will. And their prayers were answered. And as they did all this stuff, the room was shaken. And they didn't seek the room to be shaken. The room was shaken because they were following God's will. And they were in one accord, going in the same spiritual direction. And bang, the room was shaken. 
The key here is they wanted to do God's will and proclaim the gospel. Didn't seek the shaking of the room. They didn't want to just experience the power of God again. They were going to do what God had told them to do. This is the first point. If we're seeking revival as a church, it's not to be the church in the book of Acts. It's to be the church that follows God's will. It's about sharing focus, what they focused on and what we focus on, yes. It's about sharing Christ with boldness. It's about moving forward in the power of God, being in one accord. We need to be in one accord. But to do that as the body of Christ, we have to have an understanding of what's involved in being in one accord. It means being a one mind, following God's word, following God's will together. See, without being in one accord, the church as a whole is not going to experience revival. It's not going to happen. And when it comes to one accord, Concerning believers, when it comes to being in one accord, concerning the things of the kingdom of God, we have to remember this. It's a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual matter that begins with the individual, because it's a spiritual matter that begins with, where are you spiritually in your walk? How is your relationship with Jesus Christ? Because your relationship with Christ and what you're doing and how your spiritual walk is will affect everything. Will hinder you and stop you from coming into one accord with those people who are in a different place. So to be in one accord as the body of Christ, we're backing up now because it's really starting in the individual. Starting with you. It starts with me. And some people are going to be familiar with this, but is anyone familiar with cardiopulmonary resuscitation? No nurses can answer. Okay, people are going like this, the lifeguards in the back. All right. So some will immediately recognize that it's, you know, the, long, the real name for CPR. We all know what CPR is, though, right? Some here might be even certified in it. Uh, but CPR brings up this image in your mind. If you've been trained in or have witnessed it, there's this picture that forms in our mind when it comes to CPR of of probably giving chest compressions to somebody, right? Chest compressions to keep the blood flowing through the heart because the heart stopped. Uh, Life and death situation when it comes to CPR. And sometimes the CPR itself prompts resuscitation of the individual, but more often it extends a window of opportunity for other means to be used like a defibrillator. Which also brings up this image of someone yelling clear and shocking the body, right, as everyone backs up to restart the heart with an electric shark. Now, I don't want to get too deep into the nuances here because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the method. doesn't matter how. But the whole point of this in CPR is to revive somebody. To bring that person back to the point where their heart is beating, supplying lung, uh, blood, excuse me, 
to the point of breathing again. They're, so they're living. Revived, breathing, living. I see similarities in the lives of believers. I see similarities because to be in one accord, the condition of our heart and our attitude affects our ability. It affects our ability to fellowship correctly, to go to God correctly, to do the things we're supposed to do, to walk aside brothers and sisters correctly, to fel- you know, to want- be one in one accord in all that we do. And frankly, it also affects this, the basic desire to want to do all that. The basic desire to be with other believers. The basic desire to get in the trenches with somebody and do what God has asked us to do. The basic desire to jump off the cliff and watch God catch us again. If the condition of our heart and our heart attitude is not good, it affects everything. So we have to remember when we're praying about revival, it's not just about getting together as the church and doing something. It's not about waiting together for an answer to prayer. And maybe some of this and how we think is affected by that word revival. Let me throw a couple of other synonyms, some other words that describe revival or are used to replace revival. Those words are resurgence, rejuvenation, rallying. And this fits so well because Revival comes with recommitment. Revival comes with sacrifice. Revival comes with righteous choices. Revival comes with the burning desire for the things of the kingdom of God, for his word, for prayer. With revival comes this desire to fellowship with other believers, to gather together with the church. These are all things I just said that describe the first church. Describe believers in the first church. Describe their mindset. And it should describe every follower of Jesus Christ. Praying for corporate revival is great, but I truly believe that God starts with the individual first. You know, I know when we say revival from the pulpit, often you get amens and everybody's all revved up about it and they want to hear more and, you know, But I wonder if the response would be the same if I said, all right, we're going to have a church revival. But listen, God's going to start with you first. So all these things that are going to happen happen to you, and he's going to want you to have all those burning desires that I already said. He wants to bring you back to that place. So he's going to strip away all the hindrances. He's going to convict you of your sin. He's going to do all this in you first, and then we'll work on the church. Well, how many people would go, oh, amen. Can I go first? Listen, it's scary stuff. Before the church has a revival, he wants a revival in us first. You know, I said that the spiritual condition of the heart matters. And, you know, I bring that up because some people are not in a good spiritual place. Listen, can you be saved and not in a good spiritual place? Yes, you can. Can you be saved as a Christian and struggling? Yes, you can. Can you be struggling and you know who to go to? You should. It's Jesus Christ. But it doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. 
Some are not in a good spiritual place. They're struggling with a heart problem. And it's a spiritual heartbeat that's begun to slow, maybe almost flatlined. No spiritual zeal. No longer living for Christ. This is a CPR situation. And you know who's administering the CPR? The Holy Spirit. Because he wants you to be more and more Christ-like. And he's keeping you alive. And he's pumping on your heart. And you know what he's waiting for God to do? God's not going to give you the electrical jolt, hopefully. God's going to give you the spiritual jolt to wake you up to who you are and what he wants you to do. See, without the CPR, people are existing when they're in that situation. Without the CPR, they're not living with the joy of the Lord in their life. They're looking for joy everywhere else, probably. Without CPR, they're probably not seeing much fruit of the Spirit. Without CPR, they're certainly not living in the power of God. And they're probably getting through day by day. brings me to my second point. Revival begins in the heart of the individual. So here we are. So for for revival for the church, we need to be in one accord. And to be in one accord, we need to have a revival revival in the heart of believers. And how do we do that? See, we know how to do that because Christ tells us how to do that. And we need to be reminded of what he said to his followers and what they must do. And this is something that's often misinterpreted. In Matthew 16, 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life from me will find it. What did he mean when he's talking about the cross? You see, for Christians today, when we see the cross, it symbolizes forgiveness, it symbolizes grace, it symbolizes the atoning work for Jesus Christ. It hangs in the church, it hangs on our neck, it hangs in our houses, it hangs in the car. And this all certainly fits because of what occurred on the cross, but that's not what he's talking about. For some, the cross symbolizes carrying a burden. Some people mistakenly refer to picking up the cross as some problem or affliction that we have that needs bearing, some struggle that they have to put up with in their lives. You know, you sometimes hear from the society, that's my cross to bear, right? It's used to refer to physical infirmities and financial struggles and tragedies and so on, but scripturally, that's not what this means either. In Jesus' time, this is more simple than you would you know, think. When Jesus' time... The cross meant execution. The cross meant death. And carrying it meant a walk of humiliation and ridicule because you're carrying your own means of death, the spot where they're going to kill you. It was not symbolic of carrying a burden. It was symbolic of surrender. Take up your cross and follow me means willing to die and following Jesus Christ. Is that you? means dying to self and living for Christ. It was meant as an absolute surrender to Jesus Christ to the point of death. This also describes believers in the first church. 
See, they proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then when they went to get baptized at a time, when you were proclaiming that before the Jews at the Jewish religion, I'm done with that, I'm going to be a Christian now? Whoa! You lost your friends, you lost your family, you couldn't go, you couldn't go into religious things, I mean, you lost your jobs. If it wasn't for the church, some of them would have starved. Probably threats. It was a serious deal for them. They were all in. And that mindset came from carrying their cross. Now, I can speak for many here, and I'm going to take the liberty to do so, because I've had this conversation in the past with a lot of people, and people know where I stand with it, too. You know, there was a time, usually around when you first got saved, that if necessary, you would have faced all the persecution that those believers in the first church went through because you were so on fire for the Lord, and you were so convicted that all you wanted to do was proclaim faith in Jesus Christ, no matter what happened to you. There was a time in your life that following Jesus Christ was everything. And that walking in faith and trusting in God and reliance on Christ and total commitment and praying for everything and expecting the answer to prayer was the norm. It was the norm. And everything on the outside seemed weird. See, I think it was in those moments, I believe it was in those moments that we were carrying our cross. That we were spiritually driven by righteousness, by the Holy Spirit and God's direction, and we wanted to do it. We wanted to do the will of God. We wanted to be on the path of righteousness. We didn't let the world seep in. We didn't let the world dictate everything that we wanted to do or we were going to do. We wanted to live for Christ and deny self. And phrases like, fill me, use me, send me, didn't incite fear. They actually were exciting. Because we were ready to pack it up and go. Wherever he wanted us to. All we wanted to do was share what we had with others. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the ushers to serve communion while I finish up here. So what happened? What happened in our walk? What happens in our lives? I'll tell you what happens is the attraction and the distraction. We take our eyes off of Christ and our walk forward slows. The spiritual things become less important. He becomes part of our lives and not our lives. That's a huge one. He becomes part of our lives and not our lives. For some, that vibrant spiritual heartbeat begins to slow, and for some, they flatline. Just put it there. 
no longer living for Christ, but rather kind of slipping back into the existing, slipping back into struggling, no spiritual fervor, not experiencing the joy that they should. And things go topsy-turvy, because instead of living for Christ and denying self, we start living for self again and denying Christ. And the priority list changes. Begin to deny the Lord. And those things that were so central to our lives begin to fade. And listen, it doesn't matter what became prominent. It doesn't matter if it was your family. It doesn't matter if it was your career. It doesn't matter if it was your finances. It doesn't matter if it was your recreation. You know, what matters is that you're no longer carrying the cross. And this is the scary part here. Well, that's scary too. But you're no longer carrying the cross. But the scary part's this. Your walk becomes the proof. Your walk becomes the proof. Because this is a situation where you can be amen to that and saying the right things and going through the motions and even in the word of God, but never applying it, never doing anything, never willing to lay it all down. You're willing to die for Christ. That's all in. So your walk shows where you're at. Can't run from that. I mentioned uh, CPR to begin with because sometimes as Christians, we need it in a spiritual sense. We need our heartbeat to come back in alignment with the Lord. We need that supernatural jolt. And you know how that jolt comes? It comes through the Holy Spirit. It comes from truth. It comes from God's word. It comes from exhortation, making us aware and spurring us on to take action. And that spiritual jolt is the moment when God's applying the paddles and yelling clear. And if he does that, some may view it as a chastisement, but I'm going to tell you, view it as a blessing, because you're not living the life that God wants you to live. And he's going to help you change direction. We are so blessed that God loves his children, that Jesus loves us, that he hears our prayers and answers them. But honestly, we have to examine ourselves and see where we're at, where our heart attitude is, how we're serving Christ. Seeking a revival in a church is well and good, and many people talk about it. But for that to be happening, we have to be in one accord. It needs to begin in the heart of the believer, our heart. And this is big, because when we have a revival in our heart, it's going to affect more than just the church. This is a guarantee. It's going to affect your marriage. It's going to affect your families. It's going to affect how you live. It's going to affect your priorities. It's going to affect how you view things again. If you have a revival in your heart to begin with, Walking in one accord with brothers and sisters in Christ who have a revival in their heart is going to be a no-brainer. It's just going to happen.
Now, I've spoken about being fired up and being all in for the Lord and how he only mattered. And I'm going to ask you for a second to just in your mind to go back to those places and to think when that started to fade. To think. For some people, it's so distinct. They remember like this one when it began. They remember like this one decision where they were at this crossroad and God's going, yeah, I want you to go to New Orleans. You're going, no. Or wherever it is. You know, there's this one decision. You're supposed to take a right. and You go, no, 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 I want to do this. I'm going to go left. And then how it's, you start fading and how it starts going towards the line and all of a sudden it's a problem. And listen, you're saved and you're all set and that's it. But I want you to ask you to go back there. And I want you to remember when the priority list started to get rewritten by things of the world. And when you had to do things of the world first and put God last. And you'd fit him in when you could. And you compartmentalize as Jesus Christ. And you don't pray as much as you should. And you don't get together with the body as much as you should. You don't get in the word as much as you should. And you just don't commit to Jesus as much as you should. When that all started, because I will tell you, if you get in your mind clearly, when that all started... You're going to go there and you're going to look down on the ground and you're going to see your cross because you left it there. That's the spot where you left it. Which brings me back to my third and final point. Pick it up. Pick it up. Pick it up. You want to walk in the power of God. I want to walk in the power of God. You've got to carry your cross. He told us to. Pick it up. You want to walk in one accord with brothers and sisters in Christ. When I look to the right and the left, I just see all these people dragging these big things because there's crosses on their shoulders. Pick it up. You want to experience the power of revival because it'll seem normal when you're with everybody and we all got our cross. Pick it up. If we want to walk in the power of God, it's got to begin with us. If we want to see God's hand, we want to see the miracles, we want to see souls saved, we want changed attitudes, we want changed walks, it's got to begin with us. We carry our cross one accord for God will happen. To walk forward for the body of Christ, and the body of Christ will come naturally with everyone else. To do the will of God will be prominent. That'll be the first thing on your agenda when you wake up in the morning is, God, what do you want me to do today? And when you go to bed at night, it's like, God, what do you got planned for me tomorrow? It's going to be all about God. And the rest will fall into place. And listen, when we're all there to experience revival, it's going to be inevitable. We're not going to have to manufacture it. It's just going to happen. Now, I want to make you aware of something. I also want to encourage you because if you're not aware of this, at New Hope Chapel, at our local assembly, there is revival going on in pockets. There is. There's miracles going on. There's healings going on. There's people getting saved. And let me ask you this. If you're not aware of what I just said, how come? How come you don't know that? 
It's a great time to examine what you think walking in Christianity means. Great time to examine how you're involved. Because God is doing stuff here and you're missing out. We need to carry our cross. Listen, some people are carrying their cross here. But in God's will, we all need to carry our cross. In the body of Christ, we need you to carry your cross because we all have our role to play. We all have our spiritual gift. We need to come together as the body of Christ. And when some aren't doing that, it hurts the rest of us. So we want everyone carrying the cross. You know, praise God. My prayers for those individuals today that have maybe have forgotten what it was like to be, to carry their cross, to be all in. And they, I'm praying that God's doing, Holy Spirit's doing the CPR thing. And maybe that spiritual goat, uh, jolt came from the word of God today. And that you're awakened and you're going to move forward. And the whole, that's, that's my prayer for people today. And as Christians, as the body of Christ, as New Hope Chapel, we just need to carry our cross. We need to let our heartbeat line back up with the Christ heartbeat. We need to have that desire to do the will of God. We need to come together as the body of Christ in one accord. And not only will we experience revival, we'll live revival. Amen? Okay, what a great day for communion because... The Bible says to examine yourself. You know, and a lot of it about coming to the table in an unworthy manner means, you know, we need to be serious. We need to remember what Christ did for us. We need to be, I'm lacking the word, but I guess I'll go back to serious. We need to be serious about what Christ did on the cross for us, about how much we love him for it, his sacrifice that he did for us, how he suffered for us, how he shed his own blood for us in our stead. But it's also a great time for purity in the church to bring those things before God that we've been messing up. And Lord, forgive me, I'm I'm doing this wrong. You know, it's funny because Wendy mentioned, she got up here and she mentioned the sin of omission. And that's something that we need to bring to God too. Lord, I know I'm supposed to do this and I'm not doing it. It's a sin. You need to bring that to him too. And then you also need to bring, Lord, show me how to. Give me the strength. Lord, help me pick my cross up. Help me to walk again in that. Help my walk and my testimony to be of a Christian who will die for you. Because he will give us the supernatural strength to do it. Luke twenty two nineteen 19, it says, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember his sacrifice. Listen, we also remember that he's coming back. Amen? Amen. So when you're ready, take the bread. Partake of the emblem.
Luke 22, 20, he says, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup and the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Lord, we just thank you for everything that you've done on the cross for us. We praise your name that you shed your blood in our stead, Lord, that you paid the price, the penalty for sin. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you loved us. Or still love us. Please partake of the juice. And then please bow your heads with me. Lord, I just pray for everyone here today. Lord, I pray that you would place your hand upon him. Lord, that you would give them direction and guidance. Lord, that they would hear your voice. Lord, that they would be encouraged in their heart. That they know they can go to you about these things that are getting in their way, Lord, from carrying their cross. These hindrances, Lord. The fear. The sin. Whatever it is, Lord. Help us to go to you, Lord. Help us to be assured that we are your children, Lord, and that you hear our prayers and that you work all things out for those who love you and a call to according to your purposes. So, Lord, we just love you. We thank you that you loved us first. We just pray that you would empower us this week to speak about you and to do your will. We just pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we all said, Amen. 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 Service is ended. Thank you for putting up with me. Go with the grace of God. (laughs)